This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. We've been in this series called Rise, and over the past three weeks, we've been focusing on the need to return. We talked about the first week returning to our first love, and then we talked about returning to our secret place, and then last week we talked about returning to our holy calling. I want to shift gears tonight and talk to us about rebuilding, and we're going to lean into this for the next three weeks because I believe there's something specific that God wants us to do in rising by rebuilding. Say rebuilding. The title of my message today, for those of you taking notes, is Developing the Heart of a Builder. Developing the Heart of a Builder. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Nehemiah. We're going to begin right there in chapter 2. We've been spending most of our time in chapter 1, but tonight we're going to move ahead a little bit, and we're going to pick up with chapter 2, verse 1, and here's what it says. In the month of Nisan, not just a car, but apparently a Jewish holiday. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before the king, I took up the wine and I gave it to him. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face so sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid, and I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins? Say ruins. And its gates have been destroyed by fire. Verse 4. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me back to Judah... To the city of my father's graves that I may rebuild it. Say rebuild it. it. Nehemiah heard about what had been destroyed. Nehemiah is in Susa. We talked about this the first couple weeks. It's about 150 miles north of the Persian Gulf in what is now today modern Iran. And he's in the palace of the king and he's serving as a cupbearer to the king. And news comes to him that his city, the holy city, the great city of Jerusalem, Mount Zion itself, is in ruins. It's been devastated. The walls have been torn down and ransacked and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And Nehemiah is moved, say moved, moved in his spirit to rebuild it, to develop the heart or reclaim the heart of a builder. And in the same way, I believe God wants to do that in us, to develop the heart of somebody who's willing to build. He wants to help us, I believe, as a church, and especially in 2022, to become the kinds of people. Remember, Jesus is always interested, and I should say more interested, in the kinds of people we're becoming. Not just all the fancy stuff that we do in his name, not just all the things that we do to bring him glory and praise, but he's interested in the kind of people that you and I are becoming in him. And he wants to see us become the kinds of people who see opportunity when other people only see obstacles and problems. And so I want to lead with this question tonight. Let me ask you, are you a builder or are you a complainer? Are you a builder? Right, we're going to get right into the pudding. Are you a builder or are you a complainer? There's a great contrast here that I want us to see tonight. In other words, do you look for opportunities to build up people around you? When you're commenting on on your friend's posts on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, are you encouraging them or are you criticizing them? 
Are you building them up or are you tearing them down? Some of you might not think you're tearing people down when you're being sarcastic, but come on. Can I tell you that sarcasm is one of the most painful tools at our disposal? Because behind every little sarcastic remark is a little biting jab, isn't there? There's always a little bit of a a biting hook or a biting hit to it. I know as a, a team, we endeavor not to allow sarcasm to become our love language. And for some of you, this means that you've got to become rewired and have your minds renewed. I know for many years growing up in Southern California, everybody was pretty laid back. And so sarcasm was a real easy language to learn. But I quickly realized in moving elsewhere, I spent a little time in Wyoming before we lived in Texas and now Utah, I quickly learned that not everybody understands sarcasm the way that I understand sarcasm. I quickly learned that not everybody has the same sense of humor. I quickly learned that it can become hurtful and divisive and can tear people down. What about at work? What about in your workplace when you're with your colleagues and your coworkers? Do you take the time to encourage people and build them up when they're having a crummy day? Or do you act like Job's friends and go, oh yeah, there must be sin in your life. You must have done something really wrong for all this to go really wrong in your life. What a horrible thing to say to somebody, by the way, when they're going through it. But are you a builder? Do you see that as an opportunity to lift them up, to edify them, to encourage them, or do you tear them down? Are you a builder or a complainer? Listen to what Proverbs chapter 24, verse 3 says. By wisdom, a house is built, and by understanding, it is what? Established. I want you to underline wisdom And I want you to underline understanding. Right now in our culture, and in this particular cultural moment that we're living in, we're really seeing a lack of wisdom and understanding, aren't we? This is on full display. We're, We're seeing people living without wisdom and with understanding, and they desperately need both. And I would say to us, and especially to some of you young ones here tonight, grab a hold of the more seasoned ones among us and spend time with them. And gain some wisdom for your life. Because the truth is, they've lived a little longer than you. And they've walked down the path road of life a little further than you. And they can help shine light on things that are coming up in your life that you may not know about or even anticipate. What am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say is that we need wisdom and understanding for our life. And as a result, we should all be people, the kinds of people who seek out godly and wise counsel. That's why as a pastor of this church I seek out counsel from other leaders and other pastors throughout the U.S. and beyond. I submit myself and I'm accountable to four different tiers and levels of leadership in the way that we govern this church. Because I realize this, guys, I need wisdom and I need understanding. I'm not all that great. And some of you think you're the cat's meow and I'm here to tell you, you need wisdom and you need understanding. You need to seek out godly mentors and people that can encourage you and help build you up. The truth is, if you're finding all of your wisdom and understanding on TikTok or Instagram, you might want to reconsider your source. If your sources are just what you see online, I beg of you, as your pastor, for those of you that allow me to be, please consider your sources. Because what you're submitting yourself to, what you're coming under is so important. It's going to shape your life. What did Proverbs say? By wisdom, a house is built. And by understanding, it is established. The truth is, are you guys ready for this? We all need accountability. Now, I know we don't like accountability. We're Americans. 
right? We're free-shooting, independent people. Well, I should say most of us are Americans. Some are becoming Americans. We love our Canadian friends and family that are with us now. But the truth is, many of us as Westerners, how's that? As people in the West, we have an independent spirit. And part of that's great. It, it, it gives us and provides us a great work ethic. For, for many of us, we've, we've gone after to you know, seek our own dreams and we've built businesses. We've done a lot of great things. But we still need to be people who are and who come under authority, who are accountable. That's why we're so excited about community groups. Because community groups gives all of us the opportunity to come under accountability to other people. What does that mean? It means that when stuff's going down on your life, going down in your life, other people know about it and other people can come and, and encourage you and build you up and be a part of the solution and not the problem. Amen? Amen. We all need accountability because the truth is we're all building on somebody else's foundation. Listen to what Paul says to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9 through 10 in the ESV. It says this, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are what? God's building. You guys are God's great building project. Did you guys know that? God is building something, and guess what? It's you, and it's me. And Paul goes on to say, according to the grace of God given to me, according to the way that I've been graced, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And, as it turns out, someone else is building upon that foundation. So let each one take care of how he or she builds upon it. Now, Paul in this context is referring to Apollos. Apollos is this, uh, this new preacher who's on the scene. He's uh, the new charismatic guy on the scene, and everybody's starting to follow him. Everybody's starting to attend that church, because they're like, man, that guy's got it going on. He's got the goods. Their kids' ministry is rocking, and their music is awesome, and the lights and the haze and the smoke machines are on par. And what Paul is saying here is that, listen, I laid a foundation for Apollos. I laid a foundation in my preaching and in my church planning that now somebody else is building upon. And then he says to the whole church, to you and me, to all of us, let us take care of how we build upon it. How are we building upon it? So I believe God in this passage makes it very clear that he wants each and every one of us to develop the heart of a builder. Why? Because God is a builder. Because God is building something. He's building people up into a spiritual house, what 1 Peter chapter 2 says. Jesus himself said this in Matthew, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, meaning death cannot hold it down. And we are, as the text says here, God's building. We're his, his house, which means that each and every one of us should have the spirit of a builder, of somebody who carries the spirit of Christ in them. Now, I want to talk about three ways that you and I can actually do that, how you and I are called to develop the heart of somebody who builds upon this great foundation that's been laid. Are you with me tonight? Number one, we see it in what Paul says about himself in the way that he goes about building. He says, first and foremost, that he does so gracefully or with great grace. Remember it? According to the grace of God given to me. In other words, Paul built with great grace. What does it mean to build with great grace? What does it mean to build gracefully? That's what I want to look at first. I believe this. I believe it starts when you and I recognize that everything that we have in life has been given to us 
because of the grace of God. Everything that you have right now is because of God's good and perfect gifts that come down from heaven in our life. Even your breath is a result of God's grace on your life. Now, this might come as a shock to some of us, but the truth is everything we have is a gift from God for which we should be and can be thankful. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 here. It says this, We are, for by, I should say, grace, you and I have been saved. Now, we like that verse. We all know that one, right? All of us have been saved by grace, and we're all thankful for God's saving work in our lives. But listen to what it goes on to say. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Next slide. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God himself prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Church, we've been called to do some good works. And these good works are the things that God has actually prepared in advance for us to do. That should blow your mind a little bit. I know it blows my mind. If you believe that God has created you in Christ Jesus to do good works and that those good works have been prepared for you in advance, if you believe that, then you need to begin by recognizing that your life itself is the product of grace. That you and I are the products of grace. We are people of grace. So God calls us to build according to that grace. Now, I love the word that, that Paul uses here in 1 Corinthians. Can we go back to that? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9 through 10. I love the word grace that he uses here because it means gift. It's the word that we get the word gift, spiritual gifts from. It's the, the charis, the charismata, the spiritual gifts. It's the product of the Holy Spirit moving and working in our life. If you actually break down the word and you study its usage all throughout the New Testament, it's pointing us to the fact that God has given us his Holy Spirit. And because he's given us his Holy Spirit, he wants us to walk in appropriation of the gifts that he's given us. Not that he hasn't given us. Meaning God has graced you, Matt, in a specific way that's different than the way he's graced me. Do you believe that? Stephen, God has graced you differently than the way he's graced me. Do you believe that? God has graced each and every one of us differently. We all have different gifts. We all have a different measure of faith. We all have different, a portion of grace that's been given to us, which means that we shouldn't spend our time getting sucked into the comparison trap. But isn't that what we do? We look at other people's vacations online and we're like, oh man, they're having the best time ever. Something must be wrong with me. Oh wow, their life looks perfect. My life must really suck. Wow, look at how amazing and talented they are. Why don't I have my act together? And what do we do? We start comparing ourselves. But can I tell you this? Comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison will rob you of your joy. You know what, you guys? This happens to me all the time. Everything's going great. I'm all excited. I'm all up on the things of God. And then I, I flip, you know, and I, or I should say I swipe through somebody's post and then I see something and I'm like, oh man, like that looks awesome. Why, why don't I have that? Why isn't that operating in my life? Why isn't that manifesting yet, right? Don't we all do that? Comparison is the thief of joy. And then you find yourself struggling. And you wonder why you're like disappointed or depressed or frustrated. That's why for me, when I made the decision to kind of withdraw from Facebook and exit that scene, I got to tell you, it, it has been such a, a, a source of joy and relief to me. And part of that is understanding your own soul. 
Maybe for you, you're, you're the kind of person that can get on social media and celebrate other people's achievements and accomplishments. Maybe for you, there's no temptation to compare yourself, but maybe that's not your issue. Maybe, you know, you're trying to keep up with the Joneses. Maybe it's your neighbor and you're looking over the, the fence to see what new car they're driving this week. Whatever that thing is, remember this. God has given you grace to be who he's created you to be. And that's it. And the minute you and I can lean into that and rest in that, the more peace, and I believe the more joy we're going to have. Because we become the kinds of people who build gracefully, who build with the grace that's been given to us. Additionally, number two today, we're called to build skillfully. Skillfully. Listen to what Paul says here again. Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. We already kind of touched on this a little bit. Now, the foundation that Paul is referring to here is not the work of of Christ. Jesus himself is the cornerstone, right? The Bible tells us that he has already laid the foundation for the church through way of his own life. He's the stone that the builders rejected and the one that God chose for great honor to become the centerpiece and the cornerstone of the foundation that's being laid for our lives. So we're not called to lay the foundation for our own lives. Jesus is. But what we are called to do is to consider the work that's been built, the foundation that's been laid upon Jesus. And for many of us, that means recognizing the people whose shoulders we stand upon. I recognize that I stand on the shoulders of many men and women of God who have come before me who have built upon the foundation that's already been laid. So I don't take it personally when things happen in my life or fall apart or when my expectations don't get met. Why? Because it's not my foundation and it's not your foundation. Paul says, I, am, I have built this foundation and another person is, is actually building upon it. So what Jesus has already done in through the work of his apostles and prophets and Jesus himself has already been laid so that you and I can build our lives upon that. And that is so freeing. When you realize that your life is not about you and about your ability to build something great and accomplish something to make God love you more, that frees you up to just be who God has called you to be through grace and then to step into what it means to become a skillful master builder. I like that analogy. Now, it might be just because I'm a contractor's son and I grew up on the job site, wandering the scaffold as a five-year-old kid. My dad put a hard hat on me and gave me a broom and let me like think I was helping. (laughs) Probably doing more harm than good. Anybody know that as a parent? You include your kids and stuff and they make a big mess, but they're learning and they're, you know, they're involved and that's good. But then with some time and with some growth and with some maturity, you learn how to what? build skillfully. When I was in eighth grade, I had another contractor friend invite me to learn how to frame. And so I spent my whole summer doing framing for houses. Didn't enjoy it, but I did it. And I was thankful. I learned a lot. I learned how other people who are super skilled at something could execute that and do that. What does it mean though to build skillfully? When Paul uses that word, what is he saying? He's saying what I think we should value, which is this. I did so excellently. I did so with excellence. Can I tell you something? The world in all of its sinfulness and corruption and error still values excellence. Don't believe me? Just ask Disney. Just ask Marvel. 
excellent, skillful master builders of worlds and universes and products and theme parks that people want to spend way too much money on to go then spend a week at. But isn't it interesting? You go to Disneyland or you go to Disney World, for those of you that prefer the Florida knockoff version. And the place is immaculate. There are people that are, their, their entire job, and they seem to be pretty happy about it, or at least they have to be, is to go around and make sure that trash doesn't get left on the ground. And what do they do? They're just constantly going, picking up stuff behind people. Why? So they can keep their world excellent. So, they can, so that they can keep what they've created excellent. The world and all of its fallenness still values excellence. My question is, do you and I, as believers, value and represent excellence? Is what we do with our time, talent, and treasure bringing glory to God through excellence, or are we sloppy? Are we the person constantly clocking in late at work, or showing up sloppy, or unprepared? How are we representing Jesus, you guys? Now, I'm not saying that all of you have to, when you first come in here, start looking for trash. That'd be great. But what if you and I became the kinds of people that took this seriously and saw ourselves as skillful people who value excellence in all that we do? For many years, the church has tried to emulate culture, but it wasn't always like that. If you go back to like the Renaissance, people valued in the church valued excellence. Some of the top artists Right? We still go to Italy, we still go see the Sistine Chapel, and we still look at the statue of Michelangelo's David, and we spend a lot of money to go visit these places where people were leading in culture because they were skillful master builders of their craft. And they valued that, and it turned the world upside down. We're talking leading artists, architects, mathematicians, scholars, theologians, some of the first earliest healthcare hospitals were built, education, I mean, just the flourishing of human life has always been at the center of what the church has been about. But lately, and in the past, I don't know, 20 to 30 years or so, it seems like we're always playing catch-up, doesn't it? Like by the time someone like kind of figures out that it's cool, the church is just kind of catching up to it. What if we became the kinds of people who valued excellence and saw our lives as those who build skillfully, who take very seriously that calling? Now, I want to say this about excellence and it's this, excellence is not perfectionism. They're separate. Perfectionism stems from a heart that says, my best is never good enough. And if that's your struggle, may God set you free, as he has set me free from that. But excellence stems from a heart that says, I've done my best for the king. At Courageous Church, and I spoke on this in our Be Courageous class today, at Courageous Church, all we ask is that you do your best for the king, whatever that looks like, that you use your God-given and graced gifts to build with great grace and to build skillfully, to value excellence. Amen? And the third and final way that we are called to build is this, carefully, carefully. Listen to what Paul says again. Let each one take care of how he or she builds. To, to build carefully is to build with great care and with attention to detail. But whereas being skillful is more about quality, being careful is more about the condition or the elasticity or the ability for that work to endure. It's about the, not just the quality of the work, but the condition and the durability of the work, meaning is it going to last? Is what you and I are building today going to be here tomorrow? 
That's a question that we should wrestle with. And for many of you still trying to figure out career pathways and trying to figure out how to match your passion with your vocation, that's a challenge, right? I love to do this, but I get paid to do this, right? Trying to bring those two things into alignment, a lot of that speaks to being careful, being prone to understand and discern and assess the condition and durability of what you're building, the elasticity. Because Paul goes on to tell us that fire will come. Fire is always symbolic of testing and trials that come in our life to test what sort of work each one has done. Let's put it up there, 1 Corinthians 3. Just a couple verses later, he says this in verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold or silver or precious stones or wood, or hay, or straw. Now stop. All those things are meant to be representatives of different kinds of building material. He says, if anybody chooses to build on the foundation with any of these things, each one's work will become manifest. So regardless of how you're building, regardless of how you're building your life, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. Next slide. Because it will be revealed by fire. Say fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Now we've seen this when buildings burn down. Oftentimes what remains is what? The foundation. The foundation remains. But all the other stuff, all the pictures that we put on our wall, our degrees, our accomplishments, our accolades, our moments where we are on top of the mountain, all everyone's smiling. Which by the way, how come no one ever takes a picture when they're like upset and puts that up on their wall, right? because we don't want to remember that stuff. But Paul here says that everything that we do in life is essentially going to be tested and revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, meaning if it lasts, he will receive a reward. Church, a day is coming what the Bible refers to as the great day, the day of the Lord. Sometimes it's referred to as the great and terrible day of the Lord. We don't like to emphasize that part, but it's the day when the Lord will judge the living and the dead. And it's coming for us probably sooner than we realize. And that day is coming to reveal all by fire. In other words, what you've spent your life building and investing in is going to be revealed. And either it's going to last or it ain't. That's why we have to be careful of how we're building. We have to, with great care, pay attention to the condition and durability, and I would use this word, endurance of our life's work. How are you enduring in what God's called you to do? Are you remaining faithful? Now, I want to give you guys a little fun equation that my youth pastor gave me, I don't know, 20 years ago. Faithfulness leads to fruitfulness, and fruitfulness leads to forcefulness. Many of us want to be in the fruitful stage and we want our lives to have great impact, but we haven't started with the first stage, which is faithfulness. Now I know, because I'm kind of into the research on this, but I know that for some of you younger ones, particularly millennials and younger, our generation struggles to hold down a job more so than previous generations, meaning we're not loyal to one thing. We get antsy. We don't see the results. We think that we should have the results by now because we're 22, and so we move on to the next thing. We cease to remain faithful in the season that God has appointed us to be faithful. But if you and I, regardless of our generational affiliation, if you and I can become faithful in what he's put in our hands, then we'll start to bear fruit. Now, many of us that start bearing fruit, we get all excited. 
And we're like, yeah, we're building, wow, they've got all this fruit. Look at this. I'm going to go spend it on myself. I'm going to go buy a new car. I'm going to go buy a new house. I'm going to do this, blah, 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 right? And what do we do? We cut ourselves off from becoming forceful. We eat our fruit. No, 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 no. Look at all this fruit. I'm going to go buy a new whatever, fill in the blank. There's nothing wrong with buying something new. But if your life's goal is just to be faithful so you can be fruitful and that's it, you're missing out on the last stage, which is forcefulness, where your life has impact and influence. Faithfulness, faithfulness, faithfulness. Fruitfulness, fruitfulness, fruitfulness. Forcefulness, forcefulness, forcefulness. It's a mouthful. My heartbeat for this church is for those of you that have remained faithful. First of all, thank you. But this year, we're going to bear some fruit. We're going to raise the bar in our leadership and in our expectation. You know why? Because we've been faithful. But now we're going to be fruitful. Jesus says, if you abide in me and I in you, guess what? You're going to bear much fruit so that we can be forceful in this city and make a difference. Because I don't know about you guys, we didn't come here just to have a nice time together. We came here to make a difference in this city to see this city turned upside down for the glory of God, to see people's lives be changed through the power of what he's doing, amen? Amen. I like this poem from the poet C.T. Studd. He once remarked, only one life which will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Is what you're doing for Jesus gonna be here tomorrow? Is what you're investing in gonna last? And not only will it last, but the scriptures tell us here in 1 Corinthians 3, that what's done for Christ will actually get a reward. That you and I are actually going to be rewarded. That's pretty cool. The Bible says that he is a rewarder of those who what? Diligently seek him. God's a rewarder, you guys. He's not against rewarding you. Now, whether that reward looks the way that you and I think it'll look, or it's an eternal crown that we're going to probably throw at Jesus' feet anyways, I don't know. But the Bible says that he's going to reward us. Now, whether that's more like heavenly farm or a bigger mansion or whatever, I don't know. I don't think we should be thinking about it in that way. But I think that if you and I can understand that what we're building and what will be tested and what will be revealed is so that you and I can receive our reward. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He's not against rewards. So the real question is, how are we building? How are we building our lives to last. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus tells a parable, a story about a man who builds his life. Listen to what it says. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like what? A wise man who did what? Built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Say the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, who merely just posts about them, who shows a picture of their coffee and their Bible open but never really does what's in the Bible, will be like a foolish man who built his house on what? The sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house because they always will and they always do. And what? The house fell and great was the fall of it. So my last question for us tonight as we wrap up our time together is this. How are you building your life? How are you building your life? Are you building it wisely? In other words, the way that Paul tells us to, gracefully and skillfully and carefully, or are you building it foolishly with great haste and or a lack of concern? How are you building your 
life? Are you building it upon the rock? Jesus, the cornerstone, the foundation of our faith. Or are you building it upon sand that shifts and moves? Now, I grew up as a kid with sand between my toes, so I understand this. I grew up in La Jolla, California, in San Diego, and I saw this firsthand when storms would roll in, because they always do, when, when tsunami waves or hurricanes or squalls or great uh, seasons of, of tide would come in, that people who didn't build their house right on the cove, oftentimes those things would collapse. And you know what they had to do to fix it? They had to go in and repair the foundation. Maybe for some of you tonight, it's all about repairing the foundation. It's asking yourself, have I really been building my life upon the foundation of what Jesus has graced me and gifted me to do and called me to do? Or have I been building it upon something else, upon sand and stuff that shifts and moves underneath my feet? That's the question that I want us to respond to tonight. And Jesus wants every one of us to answer this, to decide how are we building our lives. He doesn't want us to delay. Because like Nehemiah, he wants us to develop the heart of a builder and to join him in what he's doing. God always wants us involved. He wants us to be a part of it. So I believe this, church, it's time to rise up and build. It's time to rebuild the gates and walls of your life. It's time to, to assess the foundations and look for cracks. Did anything crack in 2020 or 2021 that maybe God has revealed to you wasn't as strong as you thought it was? Oh, I know for me, those of you guys that have, have been on this journey with me, you guys can attest to this. I looked at my life in 2020 and 21, and I was doing a whole lot of stress eating. Happy to be vulnerable, vulnerable about it. That, that's my issue. I love food. And I turned to it for comfort, but maybe that's not your thing. Maybe it's something else. And God was like, dude, Jay, there's a big foundational crack in your life that you need to, you need to assess. You need to be real with. You need to be honest with yourself. Maybe that's tonight where some of you are. God just wants you to be honest with where you're at. Can I tell you, it's always better to be honest with God. You know why? Because he already knows. There's nothing that's hidden from him. There's nothing that ultimately isn't going to be revealed and even tested through fire. Fire and the adversity and the trials that have come at us have revealed to us what we've been building on. That's why we've seen some people walk away from their faith because they never had it to begin with or because what they built it on was something that Jesus didn't invite them to build it upon. What does Jesus invite us to build our lives on? Have I been building my life wisely upon the rock or have I been building it upon the sand? Have I been building it on who Jesus says I am or have I been investing in all the wrong things? Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at courageouschurch.com.